Welcome to the May 2nd sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 11, verses 25 through 44, and the sermon is entitled, The Greatest Miracle, Part 2, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. Please go back to our church website, or to the YouTube page, or to our Facebook page, and listen to last week's sermon because this sermon today is a continuation from the sermon of last week. So I want you to hear the sister sermons together uh, back to back as we talk about the greatest miracle of Jesus. Take your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 11 this morning. And as you can tell today, the theme of our service is resurrection. We have something that no other religion in the world has, a living Savior. And praise God, that Savior is for the entire world. And our gospel is to be taken to the ends of the earth. And praise God that He allows us, a little country church, to be a part of that ministry and that mission, taking the name of Jesus to a world that desperately needs Him as Lord and Savior. He is the only one. He is the only truth. He is the only life, the only one through whom we come to God the Father. And so today we know that we worship our Savior, living Lord Jesus Christ. We are moving ahead in a study through the entirety of the Gospel of John. This is sermon number 39 in the series. We are in John chapter 11. We opened the chapter last week. The old disciple John, longest lived of the disciples, he wrote this gospel about 50 years after he had walked with Jesus in those three years of ministry. He was an old man, but in those five decades, God percolated the ministry that he had walked with Jesus, and he wrote down the high points of Jesus' life, saying that no one could write down everything that Jesus did. The world could not contain the books. So this is the high-water mark of Jesus' ministry through John's eyes and through the inspiration of God. And the high point of Jesus' three-year ministry on this earth as the Son of God, the culmination of understanding who He is is when He raised Lazarus from the dead. And so today, that is the passage that we are going to study. This is an amazing passage as we witness the power of our Savior and His authority over death itself. Last week, we studied about two sisters, Mary and Martha, whose brother Lazarus became very ill. And at the beginning of the gospel of of chapter 11, it tells us that Jesus loved these two sisters and their brother. He loved them no more than He loves you. He loves us today. We are here today under the umbrella, under the banner of the Savior's love. We know that's true. But as Lazarus got ill, he went from bad to worse. Greek tells us that his disease made him weaker and weaker, and he was spiraling downward toward death. The earthly doctors were not able to do anything. They finally had told Mary and Martha, it's out of our hands. It looks like he's going to die. And so Mary and Martha send a message to Jesus alerting him of Lazarus getting weaker and weaker. It's amazing as you read the message that They send to Jesus in his undisclosed location of ministry. He's outside somewhere of the town of Bethany, and he's farther away. But they send him a message that simply says, Lord, the one whom you love is very, very ill. Now, they did not say what their heart's intent was, is we want you to come. Why didn't they say, we want you to come and be with us? Because they knew he would. He didn't need to be asked. He would come because he loved them. 
All he needed to know was that Lazarus was sick and the sisters knew that Jesus would come. They did not have to ask. But Jesus does come. And the time that he comes, he and his disciples coming into the village of Bethany, in response to this request, Lazarus had died. In fact, he had died four days ago. Burial comes immediately after death in the Jewish culture. They don't embalm bodies, and so they immediately bury the body after he had died. He had been dead and gone and buried for four days. It was old news. The obituary was gone from the paper. Everything was settling down in the town of Bethany. However, typical of the time, people would come and be with a family for more than a week, perhaps, and share the grief and share the mourning. So still in Mary and Martha's house, there were many people who were gathered there from the town and their friends as they shared the mourning with Mary and Martha. Yet four days out, the sisters and the townspeople still in mourning, still in grief, and Jesus came, but he came too late. He came after Lazarus had died and was buried. The situation is now beyond his help and his healing. Last week, we ended at John chapter 11, verse 24. Martha rushes out to Jesus. He has not come into the town of Bethany. He is on the edge of the town. And Scripture notes that Mary, the other sister, did not run out with Martha, but rather she stayed in the house and waited for Jesus to come. There were two very different sisters. One, that type A personality, had to charge out and meet Jesus. The other, very humbly waits for Jesus to come to the house. They were wired differently, but they loved Jesus the very same. Both of them loved the Lord as their Savior, and they wanted to be submitted to Him and to His love and to His will. But as Martha meets Jesus out on the road before he comes into Bethany, she says, Oh, Lord, if you had just been here, our brother would not have died. If you had been present to heal our brother, we know that he would still be living. He would not have died. Here's an interesting point of Scripture. In all the account of Jesus' life, in all of the Bible, no one ever died in the presence of Jesus. In the New Testament, you search it out, no one ever died in the presence of Jesus. And someone from early service asked the question, what about the thieves on the cross on each side of Jesus? Well, if you want to look this up and, and uh, read it yourself, John chapter 19, verses 32 and 33, it says that Jesus died first. That the soldiers actually came through to break the legs of those two criminals, but when they came to Jesus, he was already gone. And so Jesus died prior to the two criminals who were on each side of him. No one died in the presence of the living Jesus Christ as the Son of Man. So Mary and Martha thought, surely if he had come, their brother would still be alive. Today we're going to study John chapter 11, verses 25 through 44, a passage of huge impact to our Christian faith. These words are saturated in the truth of God, and you're not going to find this truth outside of the Christian faith. This is our truth. This is our Savior. This is His power, and I want you to hear it today. So as we begin, keep your Bible open. I'm going to take it in increments today, but I want you to read with me John chapter 11. Let's start with verses 25 through 31. Hear these words of God's Word written down through John. So as we go to verse 25, hear these words. Jesus said unto her, speaking to Martha, meeting him in the road outside of Bethany, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Asking a question. She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house, and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. In verse 24, Martha stands with Jesus, Jesus on that dirt road into town, and she says, I do believe in the resurrection, Lord. I do believe that God is going to pull all of the culmination of history into one final day. And I do believe on that day the saved will rise again. Yes, Lord, I do believe in resurrection. But she had no idea whatsoever that she was going to witness resurrection that very day in her little town of her own brother. But Jesus speaks the very definition of saved people being lifted from the dead. If you don't write in your Bible, you still underline these two verses. They are two of the most important verses of our faith. Verses 25 and 26. Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? I want you to notice the first two words of verse 25. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am. Jesus uses the very name of God Almighty for himself. The same God that revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, saying to Moses, I am the God of Israel. Jesus claims that very name and that he is God himself. Jesus is not a prophet. Jesus is not a witness. Jesus is not a representative of God. Jesus is God. God in the flesh. Incarnate, taking on flesh to walk among us. Jesus is God himself. And as God, he is the resurrection and he is the life and he is the Lord. And any person who believes in him, any person who surrenders his or her life to him, who invests themselves in him, will never die. Jesus asks Martha a question. Do you believe that? And today that question comes across 2,000 years and the question is yours and mine today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he is God himself, and that he is the resurrection and the life, and he is the truth, and no one is going to come to God the Father but by him, through him? Do you believe that? Praise God. Say amen again. Amen. We believe that's the same question that Jesus asks Martha. We ask it today of ourselves. He is God. You know, if Jesus does not come to claim his church, we're going to part ways with this physical body one day. None of us is going to sidestep physical departure. None of us will sidestep death. 
We will part ways, but we will truly never experience one moment of dying. We will never, ever experience being dead as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if Jesus does come, does return in the rapture to take us as his church during our lifetime, we will be lifted directly from our physical existence to heaven itself, and we will not have a funeral. We won't have to worry about a funeral. But if Jesus tarries, each one of us will lose our physical bodies in death. We know that's true. But when we physically die for the life in it of anyone who is a believer in the Lord Jesus, when we physically die, we close our physical eyes on this side, but we open them on the other side. We go from earth to heaven in an instant, and we do not die. Our last earthly breath will be our first heavenly breath. There is no death to the child of God. We do not die. That's what Jesus said, and I believe it. We do not die. We do not experience death. Our last earthly breath is our first heavenly breath. There is no fading away. You know, some of the philosophies of the world say, well, we'll fade away. We'll float out there somewhere. There's no such thing. There is no unconscious state. There is no purgatory, no grayness where we just float out waiting for God to say something in the grayness. Not at all. When we close our eyes here, we open them there. And that's the good news of the gospel. Our close here is our beginning there. Well, after Jesus gives these amazing eternal words about being the resurrection and the life, Martha absolutely confirms her faith, her trust, her belief in him. Look at verse 27, John 11. She saith, Martha saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. I want you to notice in that one sentence there are three names for Jesus. Lord, Christ, and Son of God. What an affirmation of who Jesus is. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. You are the Son of God. And that's an amazing affirmation from Martha. Underline the words that she says, I believe. I believe. In the Greek, belief is in the perfect tense, which means Martha says to Jesus, I have believed in you. I do believe in you, and I will believe in you for all eternity, my Lord, my Christ, the Son of God. I, I have believed, I do believe, I will believe. That's what she says to Jesus in that statement. To believe in Jesus is not the belief of a fairy tale, but rather believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior is the belief that guides life itself. Belief in Jesus is knowing that he sets the footsteps before us and that we follow him and that we serve him and that we live for him and that our life belongs to him. Belief in Jesus means we stake our life on Jesus. Belief in Jesus means that when we walk outside of these doors into the world, that we will not compromise our Savior. We will stand for Him, we will represent Him, we will witness for Him, and we will belong to Him in public. Wherever we are, we believe Him, and we will stand for Him. I want you to notice this. Look at verse 28. 
And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, Master, the Master is come and calleth for thee. Why did Martha go to her sister Mary secretly? Well, if you're just joining us today, I want to remind you that Bethany, that little town they're in, is just two miles from Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, where the scribes and the Pharisees are, there is a death sentence on Jesus' head. Remember, they tried to stone him his last visit there. And so, they're looking to murder Jesus. The plan will eventually come to fruition, though it's by God's will and not the scribes and Pharisees. But there's a death sentence over Jesus' head. So, Martha is kind of keeping him under the radar. Martha goes to Mary secretly to say, The Lord is here in town. You need to come out. He's calling for you. He wants to see you. So Martha was protecting Jesus, keeping him undercover. But as she discreetly tells Mary in the house that Jesus is calling for her, Mary then gets up in obedience and hurries out of the house and goes to see Jesus. But remember, the house is full of people. People from the town and maybe extension of the family were there in the house with her, sharing her grief. And so when they see Mary get up and leave the house quickly, they are thinking, why did she leave? We believe she's leaving so she can go to the grave and weep again. So we'll go with her and we will follow her to the grave. We will share her grief. And so many people follow her out of the house while she is going to see Jesus at the edge of town. So Mary traces Martha's steps, and according to verse 30, Jesus has not moved. He's still in that place where he had met Martha. Well, let's pick up here. Look at verses 32 through 37. John 11, go to verse 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died. 32, verse 32 is a beautiful verse. Mary comes to Jesus, and what does it say she does in verse 32? Mary was come where Jesus was, saw him, and fell down at his feet. She fell at the feet of Jesus. The moment she got there. And she says something that Martha said to Jesus. The first sentence that both of them say. Obviously these sisters had talked together. And processed the death of Lazarus and his burial. And they said together if, if Jesus had just been here. Our brother wouldn't have died. They agreed on that. And so when they meet Jesus for the very first moment. That's exactly what both of them say to him. Lord if you had just been here. Our brother would not have died, but you're too late. You got here late. You got here out of the timing of being able to help us. By the way, the sister Mary is found three times in the Gospels. 
And each of the three times, she is at the feet of Jesus. Each of the three, she is at his feet. These words in John chapter 11, verse 32, where Mary says, If thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Those are the only recorded words that Mary speaks in the Bible. We don't remember Mary so much for her words, but we remember that she's always at Jesus' feet. You know, I said to the early church this morning something that came to mind. So many people come to me over the days and say, you know, we've had a loss in our church and a family is grieving and I want to go and I want to visit and I want to be with him, but I don't know what to say. What, what do you say to someone who's gone through a tragedy or through a grief or through a loss? What do you say? Oh, we lost for words, and I say two things to them. First of all, whatever you do, you go to them. God will give you the words. That's, that's going to be a given. You believe in the Lord Jesus, he'll give you the words. But secondly, remember this. Many people don't remember the words we say, but we remember they were there. They will remember forever that you were there, that you came. Maybe they won't remember your words, but they will never forget you came. That's true for Mary. We may not remember that she only said one little statement in the Bible, but we remember now that she was always at the feet of Jesus. She was always there in humility, serving him. And in fact, in chapter 12, we'll see that Mary, the sister, anoints him. That's a study yet to come. But as Mary is at Jesus' feet, Jesus looks around. Mary's crying. Martha's crying. The townspeople are weeping, crying because of the death of Lazarus. It was an untimely loss. Obviously, he must have been a young man, and the death was something that they didn't expect. He got this illness and got weaker and weaker and weaker and passed away. And it was a shock to the family and a shock to the little town. But I want you to note this. The Greek word here for weeping, if you take notes, the Greek word for weeping of, the, of Mary, Martha, and the townspeople is klio, K-L-A-I-O, in transliteration. K-L-A-I-O, klio. And it means a loud weeping, a mourning where you cry out and you're so sad and your sadness is expressed and people can hear you cry. And that's the kind of crying that is going on with the sisters and with the townspeople in Lazarus' loss. But as Jesus witnesses this grief, as Jesus looks over the townspeople and Mary and Martha and sees the grief that is going on there, you know most of you know verse 11, chapter 11, verse 35 is the shortest verse in the English Bible. Jesus wept. He wept not because of the loss of Lazarus. He knew that Lazarus in just a few minutes would be walking out of the tomb. But he wept because he sees what death does to us. He wept because he sees the grief of our loss and the hurting of our hearts. So when you go through a grief, I want you to know Jesus still weeps with us because he loves us that deeply. He loves us no less than he loved Mary and Martha. But it says Jesus weeps. But what I want you to understand here is that Scripture does not use the word klio for his weeping. There's another word for weeping. It's dakruo, D-A-K-R-U-O. It's the only place in Scripture that word for weeping is used. And it means a silent but deep felt emotion that you're feeling what another person feels. 
and the tears flow down your cheek, but you're not crying out. It's a, it's a silent grief that goes all the way to your heart because you're feeling what another person is feeling. That's the weeping that Jesus did. He felt the loss in this town and in these sisters. And the Lord asks where Lazarus is buried. Mary, Martha, and the townspeople show Jesus the way to the tomb. And as they're walking there, look at verse 37, John eleven thirty-seven. Some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? So the people walking toward the tomb have a discussion, talking among themselves, and they said, You know, Jesus could heal the blind. He, he healed the blind man who was born blind in Jerusalem. He could give strength to a lame person. He could lift a person out of sickness. He could miraculously heal. But as they are walking toward the tomb, they said it seems to be out of his hands now. They're walking saying, he's done some miracles, but isn't, a shame, isn't it a shame he can't do anything about this? This situation is out of his hands. He's come to grieve with us, but there's nothing he can do. He sure loved Lazarus, but this is out of his hands. So they thought, here comes the centerpiece of John 11. Go with me to verse 38. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but... Because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, loose him. And let him go. What a passage of Scripture. In the resurrection of Lazarus and the power of Jesus the Christ. So Jesus stands outside of Lazarus' tomb, orders that the stone be rolled back. And of course, Martha was concerned. She's the one who was always concerned. And she said, Lord, you know he's been dead four days. When they roll that stone back, there's going to be an odor, a stench that's going to roll out of that tomb. That's going to be unbelievable. And Jesus says here, didn't I tell you? Believe on me. Didn't I tell you you're going to see the glory of God here? And Jesus lifts his eyes toward heaven as if he's looking at God the Father in the face. And he prays a prayer thanking God that he's already heard his prayer, that he's going to honor him as the Son, that he's going to bring forth a miracle that is going to change lives and help people to see belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who are believers who will be built up in their faith. God has already honored Jesus' request 
that people will witness the authority and the power of God Almighty through him as the Son of God. And Mary and Martha and all the crowd are silent as Jesus is praying. And then all of a sudden, in a huge voice, after he finishes the prayer, and I believe that Jesus had a huge voice. He had a voice that could speak to the multitudes on the shoreline as he sat in a boat and preached to them. That voice could carry. His voice was huge in that he could command the attention of a crowded temple and call them to silence when he wanted to say a word. He had a huge voice. The fancy word is he had a stentorian voice. When he spoke, people listened. And when he said, Lazarus, come forth, no one could avoid hearing that word from God coming from him. And when he shouted those words, Lazarus did come forth. Now, many preachers have said there's a reason that Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Because if he had left off the name of Lazarus, every grave in that graveyard would have opened wide open and every person would have been resurrected to life. But he pointedly said to one person, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus did walk out of that tomb. And as he came out of that cave of stench and decay, Lazarus walks out and he's still wrapped up in his own grave clothes. He still has on the clothing, the wrapping that they put on him in his moment of death. His face was still covered with the napkin. Do you remember at the resurrection of Jesus that it says when they looked in that empty tomb that the napkin had been folded and laid neatly to the side? It was the napkin that covered the dead person's face. That napkin was still on the face of Lazarus as he walked out of that tomb. And Jesus says, loose him, remove the grave clothes, get the napkin off of his face, and let him go. He is alive. He is living. He is resurrected. Let him go. Can you imagine the unbelievable cry of joy that rose out of those former mourners when Lazarus walked out of that tomb? Their deepest grief became an instant joy. You know, at this point in, in this scripture and in this sermon, I feel like I need to offer you an apology. I don't believe that there are human words that can adequately do this passage of scripture justice. When we see the resurrection of Lazarus, loved by Jesus, take the grave clothes off of him, he is resurrected from the dead, let him go. But listen, friends, this is not a fairy tale. And I want you to hear this. This is not a story from 2,000 years ago. This is a true-to-life account of resurrection from the dead, and it is your story, and it is my story, because all of us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ will experience resurrection from the dead. Let me hear a bigger amen than that. We are people of Jesus Christ, and we will absolutely rise from the dead. We will never experience a moment of death. You know, Gwen and I, in the last few months, bought our final real estate. We bought funeral plots at Amherst Cemetery. But you know, one of these days, I'm going to ask for a refund. Because I didn't buy them permanently. I only rented them for a time. There will be a resurrection. 
And we're grateful the Bible teaches us that. Now, before I close, believers, let me center on this. The moment that Lazarus was raised, Jesus said, get out of the grave clothes. Amen? Isn't that what Jesus said? Get him out of the grave clothes. The moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, Jesus said to you, get out of the grave clothes. You don't have to carry the burden of sin anymore. You don't have to carry the burden of grief anymore. You don't have to worry about your past because I am forgiving you and you're beginning brand new. I am resurrecting your life in salvation. Get out of the grave clothes. You know, a lot of people say, well, I know that I'm saved and I know that eternal life begins the moment that I die here and go to heaven. That is not what the Bible says. Your eternal life began the moment you said yes to Jesus as your Savior. The moment you said yes to him was the moment that he said, get out of your grave clothes because now you're alive. And not only are you and I alive, but we have a purpose And our purpose is to live for Him and to serve Him and to walk like Him and to be like Him and to share the message of Jesus Christ in the world. We don't need to wear the burden of guilt any longer, believers. We don't need to live in misery. We don't need to live in hopelessness. We don't need to live in defeat. We're not lonely. We're not lost because Jesus Christ has resurrected us to be His son, His daughter, His own And we belong to him. We have a great shepherd and we follow his footprint. We have a Lord who loves us. We're supremely loved and supremely cared for forever. We have been the center of his search and the joy of his salvation when you know him as Savior and Lord. He went to the cross for you and me, laid down his life that we might be forgiven that we might leave the grave clothes behind. He rose from the grave, the firstborn of the dead, so that you and I know that there is resurrection in our life and that we will never, ever truly die. That's the Savior we serve. That's the Savior we love. And that's the Savior we represent in this world this week. And no man, no thing under heaven or earth can pluck you or me out of his hand. What good news that is. Death is not a worry and heaven is not a doubt because we know Jesus has the power and the authority over death and the grave and the sting is gone and we will never die. Get out of the grave clothes and walk out of here this day willing to stand for and serve the Savior who gave you and me life. Don't compromise him Don't push him to the side when you walk outside of these doors. Serve him this week. Meet your appointments this week with the good news of Jesus Christ in your life. He'll use you, and he'll multiply his gospel through you because we have thrown away the grave clothes. Praise God for that. One last thing. We celebrate being believers. We celebrate the life we have and the life that will come. But if you've never said yes to Jesus, so far, these promises are not yours. Oh, there are promises to be fulfilled in the Bible. The promise of hopelessness. The promise that you'll work your life away and struggle to earn every dollar you have and to struggle to build that big old house and buy that big old shiny car. And you know what happens? The last day of your life will come and all of it's left behind and you have nothing but hell to face. 
But it does not have to be that way. Jesus went to the cross for you. Here in person, on the stream, he went to cross the cross for you. And he wants you to come and say, Lord Jesus, I believe. And I want these grave clothes of lostness off of me. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my future. I accept you as my Savior. I believe what you did for me as the Son of God, the Lamb of God, that you went to the cross for me. I believe it, and I accept you as my own. And today, in this very place, or wherever you are, in your living room, or wherever you might be, Jesus will say to you, get out of those grave clothes. You are free. You are forgiven. And you belong to me. If you need him today, he's waiting, waiting, for you to say yes. Church home, whatever you need, he meets us here this moment. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, thank you that we believe you, Lord. Jesus says, will you believe me? Will you trust me? Will you walk away from a lost life? Will you come to me? Lord, if one person today needs to come to him as Lord and Savior, this is the moment, I pray, Father, that you will knock so soundly on the door of that heart they cannot turn you away. For we who are brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of God, believers in Jesus, Father, I pray that you will fill us with a passion and a hope and a desire that we're to take Jesus in the world this week. We're done with the grave clothes. We belong to you. Help us to live for you, Father, boldly and encourage and without compromise. Church home, whatever the need is here today, a need for healing, Father, thank you. If you can raise from the dead, you can heal any physical thing or any emotional thing we're going through, Lord. You're the great physician. Bless us in this very important moment of decision, I pray. And I thank you for those who are here, those who are listening, Lord. Move in our hearts now in Jesus' name. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.